Hello, welcome to another episode of Talking Fit. I'm Paul Rose. I'm joined as ever by Luke Morgan. And today we are joined by Shadi Gandavian Connor. Um, Shadi, sorry, I just mispronounced your name. Gandavian Connor. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself to start off. You pronounced my name beautifully. I've been called all sorts. So it's fine. <laughs> you did it perfect. Um, thanks so much for having me on your show. So um, I'm a regular lady. So I think um, um, I like to get that across straight away because there's nothing extraordinary about me. However, I've discovered myself, I suppose, in the past 15 years through career changes. My main um, work is public speaking. Um, I go on extreme expeditions and then share the lessons learned with businesses and schools. My main focus is children because I think that um, they're like a sponge and when you sort of um, share your tales, they, they realize that they too can go on really extreme expeditions and get to uh, learn more about the world and they don't have to always uh, follow a prescribed method of learning which I think unfortunately I hope my children's school and um, teachers aren't listening but I don't really agree with the traditional way of learning but put that on the table and move on <laughs> yeah so um I like anything extreme anything endurance based my previous life was um, in marketing, so um, I, I worked in marketing and PR for many years. Loved it, but it didn't fill my soul. I loved the paycheck, but the paycheck just didn't make me feel uh, fulfilled. So my husband and I basically emigrated and we lived in the Sinai Desert for many years. Um, and that's when I really sort of found out who I am, I suppose. Um, living in a very harsh and remote environment um, you realize that you don't need a lot to um, be content and happy with um, to live a fulfilled life and from there on I've been involved in lots of charity projects um, environmental projects uh, social projects things like that and that's my main driver so any of my extreme expeditions are always linked to a social cause um fundraising and raising awareness is i think key there's no for me personally there's not very much point of going on an expedition um, just for the sake of it i know that for others it's sort of like bucket lists but for me i don't have bucket lists like that i like going and doing things that i wouldn't necessarily like to do i know it sounds weird but if i don't like something and if it fills me with fear um, or I say I hate it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so when you mention social causes, give us some examples. What, what are your main focuses in that kind of area? Yeah, so um, over the years, I've um, done a project with Teenage Cancer Trust. Um, they needed a, a piece of kit for their unit at Southampton Hospital. Um, and I think this piece of equipment is £12,500 and I thought how on earth am I going to raise this huge amount of money um, and I just thought I'm going to go and climb Mont Blanc. This was in 2016, I've never climbed anything in my life, I've got uh, a fear of heights, I don't like the cold, um, I don't know what crampons are, N nothing basically and this is... Um, what, this is me. I'm, I'm not a planner. I just say I'm going to do something and then I work it out. Um, and I often find that doing things like this and being less prescribed 
means that you follow through with your dreams and your ambitions. When you plan things too much, you end up having this self-doubt. Oh, I can't do this because of X, Y, Z. I haven't got the money. I haven't, whatever it might be, the skill set. Um, so I just decided I'm going to climb Mont Blanc. I just about knew where Mont Blanc was on the map. And uh, um, yeah, so we raised the 12 and a half thousand pounds. I say we, because I did the easy part as far as I'm concerned. I had a whole host of other people helping me raise the funds and raising awareness. Um, to the project and since then I've been involved with the Murray Parish Trust uh, which is a small charity based on the south coast and they fundraise for paediatric care on the south coast um, and I heard that they were trying to raise five million pounds for a new A&E department and uh, I thought wow I might get involved in this what, what, what am I going to do to raise funds for them I'm going to climb the Matterhorn um, which I successfully summited uh, thanks to the support of lots and lots of people who were cheering me on and we helped make a huge dent into the funds that they needed for the hospital and the hospital's open now. So anyone on the south coast that gets air ambulanced, hopefully they don't need to use the unit, but the children's unit, um, yeah, it was paid by, in part, by the Murray Parish Trust, which is a great cause. So how many of your the kind of extreme challenges would you say you do each year because these are quite big challenges you're talking about it's not mm. kind of one a month kind of things here I'm assuming no I don't do one a month I, I started um small by thinking um doing one sort of big project a year last year I actually did two so three actually sorry so I um did an ultra challenge around the Isle of Wight and I also did Kilimanjaro. I took a team of 20 ladies who have never been on any sort of extreme expedition. Um, and together we conquered Kilimanjaro. And I also went up Elbrus, which is in Russia, and climbed the North Face. I won't be doing that in a hurry. North Face of a mountain. Now, I, I honestly discovered why they say the North Face of any mountain is really harsh. I got battered. But, yeah. It was a, a tough one. Would you say Elbrus is your toughest challenge to date? Uh, is it my toughest challenge? I would probably say, yes, it was very tough. Um, it was tough from the sense that, um, well, let's rewind. The, the visa in itself to get to Russia was probably the hardest part, overcoming all of the loopholes. Um, and then, of course, um, the conditions are so unpredictable because it's located in between two bodies of water. So you can't predict what the weather's going to do. Um, and we got battered on the North Face. Um, we didn't make the summit. We missed the summit by, I think it was a couple of hundred metres, came off the mountain because we were stuck in this horrific storm for hours on end. And we were totally dehydrated. I mean, I was so dehydrated I, you know uh, the lacoste logo the little yeah. crocodile i could see that all over the snow so i'd look at the snow and i'd just start laughing and, and my team were like what are you laughing at i'm like i can actually see lacoste logo all over the snow and they're like okay she's not in a good place um so totally dehydrated it's minus 20 god knows what super cold and days of not sleeping very well 
um, and you have to carry all your kit. So this huge backpack. And I know that in, you know, uh, your listeners can't see me, but I'm five foot two, weigh 49 kilograms. I'm quite petite with this huge backpack, which weighs about 40 kilos um, on my back. And yeah, it was it was tough. So we came off the south side and then my friend Matt, who I met years ago in Chamonix, um, he's a bit of a mountaineer. He loves anything to do with um, extreme sports. He said, we've come all this way. Why don't we get a few hours sleep and then try hitting that summit uh, one more time? Just attempt it. And I was like, you know where you just want to say no, this is just stupid. But I said yes. And I'm so glad I said yes. So we we went back for it and and did that. And um, yeah, we've got plans of doing things together next year. And yeah, I I think it's always nice to have a, a project on the horizon. Of course, all my projects this year got completely um, hijacked because of our little friend uh, COVID Um, but it's been it's been good at the same time because whilst I haven't been able to see through the things that I wanted to see through it's giving me an opportunity to prepare for 2022 and and on so good things there. So what happens with regards to things you had planned this year are they just push back a year or is it not as simple as that they have been pushed back I mean I'm sort of the same as everybody else trying to work out what's best but um so I've got a team of ladies and we're going to Morocco and we've had to push that back and thankfully everyone's agreed that the new date works I've got another team of um amazing people coming out to Killy with me Um, And again, we've had to move that back. It was meant to be in September, so we could sort of sit back and ride it out. But I think from a fitness point of view, many aren't where they want to be because of lockdown. Um, And also business wise, you know, everyone's sort of wanting to, you know, focus on their work and uh, catch up with all the new protocols. So, um, yeah, we've just moved everything back. So my my name. Next year is going to be quite a busy one uh, with activities, but uh, it is what it is, isn't it? You just have to make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand 2022 is also meant to be pretty busy for you. Yeah. Do you want to explain why? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, 2022, I am part of a team led by Felicity Aston, the awesome explorer um, and a polar explorer. She's accepted me um, onto her team. And there's six of us going um, to the North Pole. And um, anyone who knows me knows that I don't like being cold. So it is a real sort of challenge for me being in those sort of harsh environments. And I often get asked, why would you put yourself in those sort of positions? Well, there's two reasons. This expedition is um, a scientific expedition. So there's Um, lots of uh, coring of the ice that's going to be brought back and used for a variety um, bits of uh, research ones uh, in particular is black carbon the other one I'm not allowed to really speak about at the moment because it's not uh, finalized but it's never been done before Um, so it's a real science trip you know Um, it's not just going to the North Pole on skis and putting your flag there and saying I've been to the North Pole I I have no uh, no need to do that Um, and then the second reason I think as I said before anything that involves uh, pushing your boundaries and living in a bit of discomfort allows you to learn about yourself 
Um, and these ladies that I'm going with are just incredible. And I look forward to learning from them and the harsh environment and all that teamwork and uh, working a plan of coming up uh, with the sponsorship and, and then all those elements that any expedition brings. So. so I don't know if you're aware, but probably about six, seven weeks ago now, we spoke to Suzanne Turner, who is aiming to summit the seven highest peaks um, or the highest peak in each continent, as well as skiing the, the last degree to, to each pole. And something she told us when we spoke to her, which I had no clue about, but really stuck with me, was that kind of the urgency with getting to the North Pole because of politics partly, but mainly because of climate change and the way the, the polar ice is disappearing um, and she was talking about how they don't know how long it's going to be possible for there are people who have been in the last couple of years who say they're not sure that it's it's ever going to be possible again so how does it affect your planning for for an expedition like that when there's kind of a possibility that forces completely out of your control may prevent it from ever happening hmm. that is a really good question and something that we anyone who's involved in extreme sports has to we just have to live with it I mean any sort of mountaineering trip you know you can be on a mountain and the weather can turn and mother nature says no to this this time's not your opportunity and you have to turn back I hope that it's possible because I think um the data that we're hoping to gather is going to make a huge impact on science and the scientific papers that will be written thereafter for, for your kids, my kids, that the, the next generations to come, because as Suzanne's um, correctly mentioned, we don't really know how long that ice is going to be there. And it, it carries real vital information as to what's going on with, with our climate change. So I really hope we can make it, but we don't know. I mean, the team this year couldn't get out there because of COVID. The year before, it was a political game. They couldn't put the runway down. I mean, there's only one runway. Um, yeah, so who knows? And it is. it would be extremely frustrating, but I've got everything crossed that we can manage to pull it off and go and get that and bring it back and be done with it. <laughs> so is it just a case of you plan as if it's going ahead and then if it doesn't, you have to live with the, the disappointment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, and I often, you know, I, I try not to be disappointed with these things. I really believe that if something's meant to be, it will be. And I go with that attitude. And, um, it, you know, it, all of these trips have 101 uh, problems. Um, they're problems in inverted commas, challenges as such that you've got to overcome, whether it be at your fitness, whether it be at financial, whether it be at climate. I mean, there's things all the time being thrown at you, and you just have to have that resilience. To suck it up and just go right well, what am I going to do now and find a way of uh, making the most of it at every time. So when you mentioned the Kilimanjaro expedition earlier on you mentioned that the the ladies that you took along had no kind of experience with mountaineering or, or being in those kinds of environments is that the same with your North Pole expedition or does there need to be a bit more background with something like that? Um, the ladies on the North Pole expedition have all been on some sort of ex uh, experience or exploration that's been extreme. So they're physically at a different uh, level to perhaps 
the ladies that were with me on Kilimanjaro. So they've all been to extreme places, done extreme sports, you know, endured all that suffering, pain, lack of sleep, whatever it may be. So uh, we're all on a on um, on an even keel with that. Um, obviously, Felicity has done polar expeditions, so we are very much shadowing her and learning from her. The Kilimanjaro ladies, they were a very strong team of women, but never done anything of this uh, nature. You know, some of the ladies um, are mums, and so they've been doing mummy things and at crossroads and trying to rediscover themselves. Some have never camped, you know, you know, we, we take these things for granted that we might like the outdoors, but some people have never used a tent before. So it, it was a, certainly a, a, a really exciting and amazing journey to watch how these women actually really like the outdoors. They might necessarily go back to Kilimanjaro because we I didn't mention this. We got um, hit by the most crazy weather storm. and um, yeah there was so much snow it was it was like being on Elbrus and they're like Shardy you brought us to Africa what is going on it was just it was quite brutal coming um, off the mountain but um, yeah it was a great trip great trip and I'm still in touch with with all of them and um, I've really enjoyed watching them flourish. And when you're putting together these teams particularly the teams of the people who don't have the experience, do you go out and find the people and convince them that it's something they can do? Or do they come to you saying, I've seen you do this and I really want to have a go at it? Mm. So it's a mixed batch. So um, often I put an advert out saying I'm looking for a team and then word of mouth sort of spreads. Uh, and then people contact me and we have a conversation about it and I explain to them what what's required and, and that they need to get fit and all this sort of things um other times yeah word of mouth so it goes around pretty quick and um i actually really enjoy having people on my team who've never done this sort of thing because they're more sort of open to um whatever's thrown at them they just suck it up and get on with it and um there's very little complaining and just laughter and yeah why am i doing this sort of thing but i think when you get back and you reflect on the situation they always uh, they're super fond super fond of uh, the memories and the experience that it does definitely give you wings and when you're when you are recruiting if you've got someone in front of you who who is really unsure about what you're suggesting just because of low confidence or they just they just really don't feel it's something that they are capable of doing and I'm sure you can see something in them that tells you yes you can I've done these before you've got all the qualities there you just need someone to help you find that that spark inside and believe in yourself how do you go about getting them to see that and getting them to to buy into it themselves mm. I don't really generally try to get anyone to buy into it because I think um, it's got to come from within you to want to do these sort of things. However, what I do invite them to do is to join me on hikes. So I live in Hampshire and there's some beautiful areas and they'll come out, meet, maybe meet some of the other girls and everyone's really um, down to earth and low key. There's no competition. There's no, I'm the fittest here. You know, we're all equals and I think this is what's very important about anyone who's part of my team um, I don't really like this hierarchy you know I'm the chief and you know 
I'm the best here and you're just not as good. That's just a load of nonsense. We're all equal um, and we're here to teamwork um, and work together to get to where we want to be. So I invite them to come and join us for hikes. And then if they want to um, come on a trip, then happy days. But I would very rarely try and sell it to them because that's just not not what I want to do. Um, I would encourage them. I would be like, look, we had a blast and I think you would have a blast. Um, and to the people that say, oh, you know, I couldn't. Well, you don't know until you give it a go. So uh, you're talking nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Give it a go. And um, the other thing is, with any of these um, expeditions or trips or ultra challenges, it's not about crossing that line or reaching the summit. It's about the journey. I mean, so much, so much happens before an expedition. The expedition might be a week, 10 days, two weeks, three months, whatever. But the, the time before could be two years, you know, of preparation. So I think it's important to always focus on that and go, I'm on a journey now. And then crossing the line or not crossing the line is secondary. Yeah. So Luke mentioned to me before we came on that a big part of your, your mission, if you like, is the empowerment of women. What is it about that particular cause that really appeals to you? Yeah. So um, when I was growing up, I don't know whether Luke's mentioned this to you. Um, I my very early memories of my sort of desires, dreams was to be an astronaut. And all those people around me would say things like, you know, that's not a job for a woman. And that that's a job for a man. You know, you might have a family. What are you not to say that I would ever be an astronaut? I probably wouldn't cut the mustard. But that was what I wanted to do. That sort of scientific expedition and sharing the knowledge. Um, so that's made me realize over the years that a lot of women have chosen their careers or their paths or their destiny based around their family unit. You know, they think that they can't go off to an expedition. Even to this day, I have friends who say to me, but so who looks after your children when you go off on an expedition? I'm like, well, I do have a husband. So, and uh, we are equals. So if I'm away, he looks after the kids. And if he's away, I look after the kids. And I think these sort of key messages for me is very important to get them across to women so that they don't feel that they have to do certain uh, roles that they shouldn't be doing and same for children you know when I go and talk to children and they look at me and they think gosh you are a mother and oh that's a photo of you with your kids you could be my mum and that's what your this is the job that you choose to do then they start observing life differently and going well I can do what I want to do she can do this you know and for me I think that is super super duper important because i didn't have those sort of um uh, role models growing up saying to me shardy reach for the stars go for whatever you want to do it's not always about the salary it's not always about the job title you know i had those things and they did not fulfill me so i had to reinvent myself and really go for something that from very early on was within me but perhaps through words and um, guidance of other people, I lost my my compass. But I found my compass now, so it's all good. In terms of the the children, if you're in a, a school, for example, presumably there, there must be times when you're talking to those kids, and a, a child may say something like, "Well, 
I can't do that because I'm a girl or a boy would say to a girl who's saying, Oh, I, I really like that. I want to do that. A boy might say, well, but you're a girl. Girls don't do that. How do you deal with that in, in that kind of scenario? Because yeah. it's very, very different when it's children speaking like that to when it's adults. It's very interesting. You say this, I find that children don't have that in them early, early on. So they don't have those limited beliefs. I don't know when those limited limiting beliefs sort of surface but I've never had a child say to me I can't do that with because I'm a boy or a girl they seem to just think you know it's the way it is the thing that I've noticed is they doubt themselves more than their their gender so um there's one particular school which will stay with me forever. There's a little boy and he didn't have very many friends. He was just a bit lonely and all this sort of stuff. And the head after my talk wrote me a letter and said, Shadi, I wanted to thank you for your talk, but more so because when you did your talk, you inspired Tommy who didn't have very many friends to do a five mile bike ride. I mean, I don't even bike, but he was, sort of taken by my mountaineering tales and my endurance sports and went, well, I'm going to do a bike ride and raised 500 pounds for Macmillan cancer. And by him doing that, he became cool. And so he acquired friends. So that to me just goes excellent. That was a good day's work as far as I'm concerned. I didn't have to convince anybody of anything. I just, you know, um, stirred some thoughts and ideas and he went and made up his own path which was yeah amazing shardy based on what you've just said would would you say self-doubt is actually a learned behavior i do think so yeah i think it's a noise in our head i i have it by the way luke i have it all the time and i have to just go thank you very much for that i'm not listening to you and and just do my own thing but I have self-doubts and, you know, thoughts that come in and uh, pollute my direction all the time. You have to just rewire and tell yourself, no, that's not where I want to be and rethink your thoughts for sure. It takes so time. Much. Yeah, I was just going to say it takes time, but it also requires patience. So you can't just learn overnight and not think like that. I think one of the things that I learned about self-doubt very, very early on, um, but I chose to ignore it, was my parents used to say, you are the company you keep. And it used to bug me so much. I'm like, what a stupid thing to say. You know, what? I'm, what? And it's taken me 30 years or so to discover, actually, it's so true. So if I hang out with friends who are negative or moaners, and I have a few that are like that, I love them dearly, then it filters onto me and then I doubt and I moan and whatever. But if I hang out with really optimistic people who every time I say I'm going to do this, that, the other, they're like, wow, that's so cool. Then I've got no room for self-doubt because they're naturally instilling that positive uh, way of thinking in me without me even knowing. You know how you must have friends like this where you go to them and you share something that you're really passionate about and then they say to you, that's not possible. You're like, but you've just completely sabotaged my excitement. Yeah, you don't need friends like that. And if, if you have friends like that, don't share your plans with them. That's my tip. Do you think in a strange way, maybe for in the instance of Tommy, who we were just talking about, having the, the lack of 
social group actually helped him in that sense because he didn't have anyone when he said i'm going to go and do a bike ride and raise loads of money for um mcmillan no one said don't be silly Tommy. that's a stupid idea he just said i'm going to do it and went and did it yeah yeah exactly that and uh he will stay with me forever it's really lovely when you hear stories like that, like that, where you've made an impact on somebody with something that actually, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not really doing a, a great, uh, you know, I'm just doing what I enjoy doing and it's having a positive impact on children and they're taking that home, which is really lovely. Yeah. I love the quote that you just said. I, I also believe that whoever you hang around with most, you, it's a direct mirror of the way it's reflected, but you are the company you keep. I've never seen it written down as that. I think it's brilliant. I've written it down now. I've stolen that, Charlie. Oh, I tell my parents because for years I was telling them that it's just so stupid. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? And then, as I say, 30 years on, I've really, really, yeah. I oh, just absolutely. It's absolutely true, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There's certain things you can share with certain people and other people you know best not to say anything because they'll just tell you you can't do it because of whatever. <laughs> I said this to you on, on the phone the other day, Charlie, and you really mentioned it today, but you wanted to be an astronaut, astronaut growing up. And I believe when, I, when you told me that on the phone, my response was that you pretty much are living an adaption of that astronaut lifestyle. You're still exploring. You're still looking to do things for science. You're still looking to do things for a higher cause. Mm. Do you think it was the astronaut itself that you wanted to be or was it the components of what makes up an astronaut that you wanted to live your life by i really don't know luke i think i probably you know when you're a kid you have role models and you look up to certain people i think it was a combination of that and looking and saying well i want to be like these individuals that are making in making a difference to the world so perhaps that's what i wanted to do i mean along the, the path there was probably another hundreds of different jobs that I wanted to do that were totally not related to science. As you grow up, you are constantly evolving, aren't you? I mean, I've made a pact with myself that I would never ask my children what they want to be when they're older, because I think it's one of the most stupid questions because I don't consider myself older yet and I'm still not decided what I do for a living. I'm just constantly changing and evolving. For sure, one of my early dreams was to teach and share and help others. So that teacher aspect is definitely part of what I'm doing now. But you're absolutely right when you say I am living what I wanted to live from an early age. When you said it, it sort of brought a bit of a lump to my throat and a you know bottom lip quivering because it is. I, I really feel like I went through a bit of a maze trying to work things out, learned a lot along the way. None of that time was wasted. However, I'm just thrilled to know that I'm where I should be, if that makes sense, and that I discovered that a corporate life was definitely not for me. Although I dreamt about it, you know, as a teenager, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to work in London, have a fast car and, you know, all the all those sort of success key markers that you have as a young person that when I reach that, then I'm successful and I do this, I'm going to be well, successful. But um, I, I now know that none of those things were for me. I just tasted them and that was it. Don't want it. I think particularly through kind of teenage years, we're taught that success has a very 
clear image a very material image and like you say it's it's money it's a fast car it's a big house we're not taught about kind of how success feels in a a more internal sense and a, a soulful sense if you like fulfillment isn't something that's talked about so much when you go through school you're told you need to get these grades so that you can go to this university to study this course to get this job to earn this amount of money there's nothing about actual happiness and overall life fulfillment which i suppose actually comes back to what you said right at the very start about um the education system and the way we teach our our children um, yeah it's really sad actually i i really do feel sorry for i mean i had a great time at school i really enjoyed going to school but it's just really quite sad way of learning i think it's, there's so many other ways of learning that can be so much more valuable for children i mean particularly now i mean look at the way that they're having to learn on zoom and you know being in, stuck at home and things like that um yeah so i think it's definitely questionable um yeah don't get me started on that one <laughs> and i hope the teachers don't listen to this oh my god <laughs> i think i think honest. a lot of teachers would probably agree with yeah. you it's the, yeah. the policy makers above them that uh that perhaps need to be listening to to people yeah i agree like i think there is a lot of teachers that would happily switch the way they are um ha it happily switch the content that they teach in the blink of an eye if they had the opportunity i mean um, they have to work so hard and they're just box ticking half the time poor things you know rather than going with what's really needed but yeah yeah i've got a couple of friends who got into the education system and they were from the age of 15, 16, they wanted to be a teacher. The first year of qualifying, all of their fulfillment and everything that they thought it was going to be just completely disappeared. He went from, one particular guy went from planning everything and st staying up all night through choice so that he could provide the best quality and most engaging programs for his kids. And after a year, he was just going home and you know, he, he, he was bored of it. He decided to go and become a snowboard instructor instead. Wow. Yeah. Just because he felt like he could actually get more fulfillment out of it. Yeah. Don't blame him. Don't blame him. So going back to your, your expeditions and your challenges, if we take the polar expedition, for example, what kind of physical preparation goes into an expedition like that? So I haven't actually started training for that, but um, I am always training. Although this week I've had a super lazy week because I've had so much work that I just haven't. But generally I'm on the go from the minute I open my eyes, which is around half past six, and I physically do not stop. So um, it's a mixture of cardio, HIIT, um, and weight training. And I often train minimum a day three hours. I know that might sound quite a lot. Um, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't eat um, animal products. So yeah, that's just basically it. Just keep moving and be as active as you can. I love um, long distance running. I'm a useless runner 
I mean, useless. If you see me, you think, what is she actually doing? But that's what, well, <laughs> that's my running style. My left leg goes like Bambi towards the side. The, yeah, it's just bad. But I love long distance running. So on a Sunday or a Friday, I will go and hit the trails and do 30K with a friend as a social thing. And I pretty much train seven days a week just because it gives me mental uh, clarity. Um, and it's not, you know, too tight, but I do have it on my diary. It's stuck on the fridge. It's my commitment to myself. Um, and if you were to call me and say, can we? I'll be like, sorry, I have an appointment. You wouldn't even know that I'm training. So it is a bit like that. But like I said, I, I've canned it a bit this week because I just felt a bit tired. So I'm not you know, super regimental, but I am. If I feel like I want a bit of a breather, I will have that breather. Yeah. How about you guys? You Have you been training throughout this crazy time? What have you been doing? My training's actually dropped off a bit since lockdown ended and I've been working again. Mm -hmm. Just because during lockdown, I was, I was doing a Facebook Live workout every morning. I was doing a, a Zoom session with clients every evening and joining in, which I don't normally join in my own classes, but I was during that period. And I was running six, seven days a week as well. And now that I've gone back to work, I'm still running and the other stuff has kind of dropped down a bit. So it's, yeah, it's a funny period to say that the running's still there. The rest will start to come back. It's just that in the initial, what, three weeks or so that I've been back at work now. It's given me too many very convenient excuses that <laughs> I need to kind of reteach myself how I got around those excuses before and, uh, and stop procrastinating over things basically. Yeah, it's easily done though, but I think it's quite good to have a little breather now and again. Anyway, you'll find you're stronger when you go back. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Luke? Connection's back. <laughs> Is that your excuse for uh, not training? Oh, no, I've been training. I've, <laughs> I've really enjoyed lockdown. It's actually given me a, a complete um, boost and a, a lot more opportunity to train. So with the nature of my work in a typical non-pandemic uh, world, I find it hard to fit in and usually I'll do three to four sessions a week, but it's usually training whilst I'm tired. So if I'm busy in clinic, I might see six, seven people in the injury clinic. And sometimes that's some, some days that's six, seven hours of massage. So generally I train really tired, but during the lockdown I've uh, found a re I've rediscovered my love for running again, rather than tr running just for the sake of training. So yeah, I'll go out running, just in, enjoy the local area really. I've only lived here a year and there's so much to the area. Um, so yeah, hills, trails, and down by the river, down by the lakes. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And probably it's the best thing that's happened to my fitness in the past, I'd say three, four years. So yeah, if I could take one brilliant thing from lockdown, it's been rediscovering how important fitness is to, my, to me, yeah. Really enjoyed it. 
that's something we spoke about in one of our first podcasts right at the start of lockdown wasn't it we we said there'll be two groups of people at the end of it there'll be those that have done nothing physically active throughout the lockdown and there'll be those who have done nothing but physically active things throughout lockdown and I think yeah both of us were in the the second category it doesn't mean to say there's anything wrong with being in the first category because um, like you said Shadi sometimes sometimes you just need a break and that was I wouldn't say it was the ideal time for it but for some people maybe it was just to slow things down and, and get out of that routine yeah you're right you know it, it is like that i have to say the first i think it, week three of the lockdown my my training went down the toilet a little bit only because the pavement seemed to be full of people i was like where have these people come from i've never seen you running before so there was too much zigzagging for my, my liking so i canned it and started rowing and i really don't like rowing at all i don't know what it is about rowing i just find it so dull um, so I set myself a personal challenge to try and hit um, 50 minutes on the rower from not being able to do 10. Um, and I, I managed it. I managed to give myself an injury, mind just, you know, shoulder thing going on. But I, I managed to do it. And so it's just nice to have a distraction. I think it's so important to have little goals that you can achieve and keep yourself busy just to keep your mind from going sane and becoming one of the moaners saying I'm bored what lockdown I hate this no I, I think most of my friends and I we all just got on with it and we loved it we've, we've made the most of it yeah I agree yeah I've certainly missed the gym though oh I know I love a bit of strength training and I've literally had no access the only thing it's been able to do is spark my creative side <laughs> Oh, so you've done no weight training at all? Yeah, extremely limited amounts. Mm, that's tough because that Resorting. actually makes you feel so good. Yeah. For me, I've yeah. got mountains of weights. And so I just had them all in the, in the garden rather than being dragged around with me to clients. So I just took advantage of that which has been my big excuse since lockdown's ended because I've gone well it's all back in the car now and it's just an extra job getting it out of the car and taking it into the garden which is a terrible terrible excuse but uh, that's just what happens sometimes I wonder whether you should just uh, sort of schedule it in and stick it on your fridge and commit to it once you've done it like three four days in a row and you haven't ticked it off you feel a bit bad so you're like oh damn I've got to do that because I need to tick it off yeah, it, I don't know what it is with that sort of sensation of oh I've achieved that but um for, for me it definitely works I have to schedule it in for myself it's my appointment I've got to do it and if I don't do it then I feel awful hmm. yeah 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 and yeah I'm the same like when uh, when the gyms are open I'll book into to go into a CrossFit class if I'm booked in, I'm doing it. If someone asks me to do something else, then I'm busy then. And like you said, they don't need to know what I'm busy with. I'm just busy. Whereas while they're closed, you don't have that. It kind of, I don't feel so <laughs> accountable to myself as I do to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that you call it an appointment as well. <laughs> it's a very, very important appointment with your sanity. Yeah. 
How would you describe to anyone who's listening, who's not involved in any kind of, um, what should we say, extreme sport or expeditions? How would you, how would you describe to them the benefits that you get from them? From extreme sports. Yeah. What's your What's your reason for doing them? I think it's a psychological uh, sharpening of the mind. If that's even English, I don't know whether that was English, but it is now. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, so this sort of internal battle that we have and um, finding ways of conquering your demons is something that we all, it's housekeeping, you know. You, we've got to do it. Uh, for me, yeah, it's just that sense of achievement. And, of course, where it's linked to such important causes, then I can't give up either. So you know how you might enter a race and you're just doing the race for the sake of doing a race? That's fantastic because it might be part of your training. For me, that doesn't work. I have to have a training, a goal, and the purpose. And my purpose is the charities that sort of benefit from what I'm doing. So, yeah, I think it just gives you a real sense of satisfaction, particularly with the endurance sports. You know, when you're tired, you've not had any sleep, you might have an upset stomach, you're in the wilderness, you know, and you've got to read a map. And I mean, it's just pushing your body to the limits. And the body is incredible. I mean, I've only discovered this over the past few years, but it is truly incredible, as is the mind. So, um, yeah, it just trains you to be stronger. And when you find yourself in a situation that's really challenging and everyone else is freaking out in day to day, you're often the one that's really quite calm and cool about it because you don't see any obstacles. You just see, wow, this is a great opportunity. I mean, I did a talk at a business uh, at the start of lockdown. Um, It might have been the second week of lockdown. This is a Swiss company and uh, the whole team were on the screen. There's 50 odd people, 40 people, something like that. And they looked doom and gloom. And it's just like, we've lost our business. We can't do this. We can't do it. And I was just like, I don't get that. I don't get that. This is such a great opportunity to just catch up, you know. And so after the session and talking about all the opportunities that they had, they all seem so much happier. And then it made me think, well, what's different about me? I'm not even a business person. I don't even know your business, really. The only thing different about, different about me to them is that I go and do extreme sports. And uh, with extreme sports, you have to always second guess and try and problem solve on the go. And within a business environment, it's very linear um, and not as diverse uh yeah i I think it it gives you wings i truly do i mean you guys must think the same surely no with your extreme sports i don't know what do you think yeah i'd agree Agree completely as simple as that yeah i'd agree i think if if i'm going and doing a you know a marathon or an ultra marathon and you're up in the mountains something i've often said is that i think Things like mountain running, mountain biking should be used as um, treatments for depression because you have to be in that moment. You you can't, your mind can't wander because if it does, you end up falling down somewhere that you really don't want to fall down. It, It just 
so as you say you just you're constantly problem solving and, and working things out and you just you expand your mind so much more than you would when you take away that that extreme element you explained it so much better than i did i'm not happy <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> oh no you're spot on it it really is the best medicine for anybody who's got any sort of um, anxiety mental health any of those things running would yeah it's a perfect cure because as yeah. you say you've got to be in the moment i think being in any extreme environment whether you are on the edge of a mountain down within the sea in the polar caps of wherever or if you're doing an extreme sport where you're it's maybe more in more intensity but less duration such as um, mountain biking skateboarding anything like that um, Paul knows this and the listeners who have listened to other podcasts will know this but I grew up with motocross from literally the age of six to uh, I still ride and coach today but up until the age of so 13 to 18 I was racing national level and there were some great results I had but when I look at when I look back at all of that and, and what I'm still doing now, you never take the messages of, oh, I won this championship or I won that championship. I think the people that do look at that probably won a few more championships. But for me, it's all the life lessons you learn along the way. And yeah, in modern day life, you come across things and things just seem easy. Things just seem a lot easier, but you don't get as phased. The obstacles, as you mentioned really well, our opportunities but yeah there's something about living on the edge when it comes to putting your physical well-being at its limit that i can't live without yeah it's highly addictive as well isn't it so you sort of get used to living in that sort of uh, space and you crave more and more and more to see what your next potential is so it's a great place to be yeah absolutely of course you you need to be a little bit careful with the addictive nature. Otherwise you end up like um, the guy in free solo who doesn't seem happy unless he's an inch away from death, really less than an inch away from death. You see some of the, the clips from like that film and, and others like it. And you think maybe you need to find a little bit more balance in life. But, That's their life choice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's just such a fascinating chap, Alex. I, you know, I ch when I w I've watched that film so many times, I've watched it with my girls and just tried to get into his psyche. I think he's just wired very differently to most of us. He's, his genetic makeup, for sure, is totally different. Well, there's a part in the film, isn't there, where they do a brain scan and they say that the, the part of the brain where you you get kind of satisfaction from things mm. requires a lot more um i can't think of the word it takes a lot more to kind of get that going and get that yeah. fired up than what it would in a in the average person i don't want to say in the normal person but in in the average person yeah uh crazy 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 guy yeah, I, I don't think I'd go there, to be totally honest. I have my limits, and that's definitely not, uh, yeah. So in terms of your challenges, mm -hmm. are there 
is there anything that you've kind of seen and thought i really want to do that one day that maybe it's on the list in the future or it's it's on the i want to have this on the list in the future yeah so you're going to laugh but uh you know, I said earlier on that I, uh, I try to do things that I hate and uh, fill me with fear and that sort of stuff. So obviously mountaineering is one of them, diving is another, public speaking fills me with fear, um, writing is the next one. So I really would love to write a book. I have no clue where I'm starting from, whether it's once upon a time or where, but I would love to put some of my... Um, just the tales, you know, low key, nothing fancy out there to hopefully inspire others to also push their limits and um, reinvent their life if they need to and not have to follow a prescriptive way of living. So that would be my next. Of course, regarding physical side of things, Aconcagua is on the list. Um, I mean, there's so many mountains and peaks. I'd like to possibly conquer all seven summits Everest probably not so much so um yeah anywhere anywhere I I really the world is such a great big place I want to see it all in in terms of you like to do things that scare you Mm -hmm. how did you find that out the first time because presumably you didn't didn't know that you were going to like doing things that scared you until you went and did something that scared you and went, oh, actually, I quite like that. Yeah, I don't like it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely don't like it. So let's go to the diving. Um, We were going on our honeymoon and Tim said, oh, if we're going on honeymoon, we really should learn how to dive. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that with you. So we went to this uh, indoor pool in Liverpool. So that's where we lived at the time. And the guy gave me the mask, put the mask on, right? Put your face in the water. I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's easy. Did that. Right now, release all the air out of your BCD and go to the, on your knees, you know, in the shallow bit of water. And I was like, I'm not doing that. That's not physically possible. And he's like, right, hold on. So you want to learn how to dive. Um, and I was like, okay, right. I've got to get over this fear. Um, but of course, my fear of, of diving is thanks to Jaws. Let's, let's be realistic. <laughs> about where the fear comes from. It's thanks to Jaws. So um, anyway, we did uh, the pool session. We went out to Egypt and my poor instructor out there was super duper patient. And I like the conquering, the sort of breaking that feeling of limit. This is limiting me, you know, so I have a fear of water, so I can't see the ocean like some people see it. I don't like knowing that that's not possible. So I like pushing myself to a point that I can do something, not to a professional standard, because I'm never going to be a professional mountaineer. I mean, the same as my running, it's a spectacle. But I can do it. And I like knowing that although I might tremble and I might use some foul language at times because I'm so scared, I can still push myself to doing something that fills me with fear. That's what I like. Do I ever conquer it? No. So diving I have. I'm not fearful of diving because I've done it so many times and we've gone out to look for sharks, filmed sharks, touch sharks. I know you shouldn't touch anything, but it has happened. Um, and I'm not fearful of anything in the ocean at all. Heights I still um, 
a little bit fearful of heights and it's just something that I can't seem to control you know I look down and I'm like my goodness that is a long way down and I could go any minute so uh, yeah I haven't quite got over that but perhaps I will one day who knows and the fear of public speaking I'm getting over it so I used to get very very scared but again it feels very good when you've done it and I enjoy it now because I can see the impact that it has on the kiddos and businesses. So I think that's a self sense of satisfaction. It's just quite selfish, but it's work in progress, which is what, what I am. So what would you say to someone who, who came to you and said, Shardy, I would love to do the things you do, but I'm terrified of X, Y, Z. I'd say, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, just give it a go. Put yourself out there. Step out of your comfort zone. Nothing good ever happens in your comfort zone, ever, 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 ever. So you need to just go for it. You know, um, a lot of these projects that um, I'm involved in require a lot of money, and you've got to ask people for money. And often I find myself having these conversations with myself, oh, they're not going to want to sponsor this. They're not going to want to support this or whatever. And I'm like, well, why don't you just ask? They can always say no. And often they say yes. So it might take a year, it might take two years, but eventually they say yes, you know. So I do believe that you just have to give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, it, it's quite simple. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I don't know if I'd call it a fear, but something I, I hate doing is asking people for things. When I've done fundraising things before, and so both times I've done the London Marathon, it's been for charities and there's been a, a fundraising target there that I've had to meet. And it's been more than what I could raise by asking people I know to to donate a 10 or 20 quid. It's meant going around to businesses and asking for, for raffle prizes, for example. And I just hate that. Hi, um, I'm actually looking for a bit of a favor. Just something in me just curls up and I'd rather just run the other way or curl up into a ball and hide in the corner. But like you say, you ask it and most people are quite receptive to that. Um, you'll get a few people who are, you know, aren't really interested or, you know, what you want free things or why are you asking me for this? But most people will say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a really good cause. What, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help you with that. It's just taking that first step and finding that that little thing within you to to go and do it like you said with with the diving the first time and just releasing all of the air and sitting down on the bottom of the pool i'm sure once you've done it you went okay that was awful but not as bad as i thought it was going to be i didn't die mm. so going back to your fundraising thing here's the thing right you think that going and asking someone for prize for your raffle is you asking them for a freebie but actually you're doing them a favor because eventually what's basically you're doing is you're offering them a service to promote their brand in some way or another. So I think 
you need to reframe that. That's what I would say to you saying, oh, I don't want to ask. And I always find a cause that is super, super dear to you. So don't go for a cause that is like, for example, no disrespect to uh, any of the cancers charities, but I couldn't really fundraise for a cancer charity. I work with children and I cannot go to primary schools and go on a teenage cancer trust is different. So I could do that. But often when I ask for prizes, I'm promoting the business by doing that. So actually I'm doing them a service. So I have no problem asking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, it's just a, it's just flipping the thinking on its head, isn't it? It's like you say, you're not asking for a favor. You're saying, hi, can I give you a bit of free publicity? Yeah, dead right. And, you know, consumers, we're all so uh, savvy. We're always looking for the brands that are doing social good, you know, so you are doing them a huge favor, particularly if they're a small local business, you know, so sell it to them. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And whenever someone comes to me and says, oh, would you mind offering some some free sessions or something like that for this this charity thing? I've never said no to anything like that. And generally, I'll, I'll go and give far more than what they're, they're expecting because my thought is, not entirely, but a big part of my thought is, well, I might get some business out of this. This Dead right boost my income. So like you say, actually knowing that as well, that's the thinking that should be taking in when, when you approach these, these businesses asking for things. If you asked me, I'd be straight away, yes. I think most people say straight away, yes. I think the ones that generally say no is because they've had so many people asking them and they're sick of it. So they're just like, oh, my God, not another raffle. So you just have to reinvent it a little bit and sell it to them. Certainly with the Murray Parish Trust, because the A&E department was such a big project and I was so all over it it came across in my pitch, you know, I was not going to be leaving without anything. So they're like, God, we better give this girl something, otherwise she's going to stay outside her offices. So, uh, you know, people were giving me £2,000 checks when I was like expecting, you know, a hamper of something. And they're like, no, 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 we'll write a check out for two grand. What? So, yeah, it, it, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about our mindset and our little uh, self-doubts that we all have which hold us back from our greater purpose. And yeah, I think when you're free of that, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way of putting it. And um, I think it's probably a really good place to wrap up as well. Unless Luke, you've got anything else to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I think for the listeners, hopefully they've, those guys have learned quite a lot from this, but I think we've probably learned a couple of nuggets from this conversation as well. So yeah, it's been brilliant having you on the show. Thank you yeah, so thank much you. for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So, Shardy, where can people go to find you, find out more about your projects or to follow what you're, you're up to? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook. Team GC is my Facebook page and uh, teamgc.co.uk. They can have a look there. They want to get involved. If they want to give raffle prizes, freebies, whatever, I'll give you some you know, Paul, if I get any, no, I'm really kidding. I don't need anything like that. But no, I just, you know, if you fancy following the page and uh, letting us know what you think of it, that'd be great. 
Brilliant. Luke, same question. Yes, so um, Facebook is Zen Anatomy Sports Therapy. Instagram is Zen underscore Anatomy. And my website's uh, zenanatomy.co.uk. Brilliant. And I'm at Paul Rose PT on all the socials and paulrosept.com. Thank you very much for joining us today and we will speak to you next time. Bye.